Hello, and welcome to the Webtoon Room. I'm Will. And I'm Crudy. And today, we're here to talk about Hose of Death. Most epic Webtoon name ever. It's so good. We're really excited to talk about Hooves of Death, and we'll be discussing Season 1, so spoiler warning, if you haven't read Season 1, turn away now, we'll be getting into it. So, Crudy. We both love this webtoon. Where should we start? This is such a unique story. Let's explain a little bit about what Hooves of Death is about. There's so many unique elements to the story with mythology and fantasy, and it's an adventure. So I'm really excited to talk about this. Yeah, Hooves of Death presents itself as a zombie apocalypse story featuring unicorns from My Little Pony. <laughs> It's such a unique setup and premise. I've never seen any story like it. Truly, you're absolutely right. When I first read it, I was not sure what to make of it, but I was very intrigued because, I mean, we mentioned this in the What We're Reading episode. Neither of us is super into unicorns. Like, we don't seek them out is what we're saying. They're cool when they show up, but this is an absolute genius use of unicorns. They're super badass in the story, and the magic and the fantasy and the mythology all collide in such an interesting way, and it is never boring. This is such a fast-paced story. Yeah, it also introduces other mythoses and other mythical creatures from all sorts of different folklores, and you're absolutely right. It doesn't get boring. And it manages to blend all of these things together, too, which is a very hard feat in and of itself. Yeah, we've definitely read fantasy stories in other places where you can see what the author and the story is trying to do, but things sometimes don't come together in a way where it fully aligns. And it is truly impressive the way that Hooves of Death makes everything and every element so cohesive. Because I wouldn't have originally thought that a story about unicorns would be able to comfortably accommodate Bigfoot, a grim reaper dog of death, who is amazing, by the way. Best puppy boy ever. But, or, you know, like sirens. And you're totally right. I think you alluded to this, but they're also from such different kind of mythologies that it's just truly impressive the way it's all weaved together. Yeah. And we'll get into this a little bit later. But also the art of all of these creatures manages to blend together well. And it's visually very, very impressive. Something else that I think is actually pretty seamlessly done as well is the realistic modern day setting with as much mythology and fantasy that exists in this world. It's really cool to see this put in a place where you can see glimpses of Yellowstone and other different American landmarks. It's very clear that this apocalyptic world is set in something realistic. It just increases the interest for me. Yeah, it's definitely intriguing because you see supermarkets, you see characters hauling bags of chips. It makes it kind of relatable in a weird way. Like it's supposed to take place in modern day, but there's obviously magic and unicorns and zombies now. But it all it all works. It does. And I think what's so interesting about it is going back to the beginning the premise and the setup is that 
the unicorns are protecting the humans in sort of a safe zone that they've created with their unicorn magic. And a variety of creatures can be infected by the zombie apocalypse plague that's, you know, existing in this world, but humans are the most vulnerable. And the themes of the apocalypse and the four horsemen, which we'll get into, and it's such another genius meld of mythos and this world, it's fantastic. But it's all centered around the foibles of humanity. So even as there are all these fantastical mythological elements, there's a core streak of humanity that is informing the world and also the direction of this story. Yeah, the humans that the unicorns are protecting in the first part of the story end up being a bit morally gray. They start blaming the unicorns for everything. And when everything falls apart or starts to fall apart, they also are first on the blame train. I find that it's a very interesting take on humans in a zombie apocalypse where the unicorns are the good guys, in a sense. I actually think it's very realistic because it speaks to a very natural human reaction to the amount of frustration, the amount of fear. When you're fearful, you tend to lash out. And that's kind of what these humans are doing in the beginning. They can't lash out at the other injustices that are plaguing them. So they go to what's there, which are the unicorns, who they know they should be grateful towards them, uh, which I know I'm reading into them a little bit, but this is kind of what happens with humans and how they react to things. But the unicorns are there. They are who is available for them to express all of these stressors to. Doesn't make it any less unfortunate, though. No, it does not. Though we do meet one human who has her wits about her and joins the main cast. That's Kate. She ends up traveling and under the protection of Glitter and Blaze as they travel the apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah, and they're not just traveling, too. What I love about this webtoon is that we have a clear reason and motivation driving us forward in the story. First, they're looking for safety and they are looking to escape the zombies. They are just looking to survive. That is their first main objective in moving forward. And then we get information from Silver after he explains a little bit and gives them a little more context into the Four Horsemen and how they systematically have created the apocalypse and even his role in it as well. So they get his support. And then from there, their objective is to find and kill death. And then along the way, we also learn that Kate is the savior of the apocalypse. So there's always something driving them forward that makes the story exciting because the stakes are high. And that's what's cool about this webtoon is that even at its barest form, when they're just looking to survive, it is still a compelling story. Even if you didn't have all of the other layers, it's still compelling even just as a zombie apocalypse survival story. Yeah, I also appreciate that none of these elements overstayed their welcome. The survival part of the zombie apocalypse, it's pressing, it's urgent, you feel it. And as you learn about the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and the group's eventual goal, the terror of just survival kind of fades a little bit and it moves on to the next little bit. And this kind of repeats as we get through each different section of the world that they're exploring. Nothing overstays its welcome and it's paced really, really well. So you're still at the edge of your seat the whole way through and you don't feel like it's going too fast and you don't feel like it's going too slow. I would definitely agree with that. It keeps with a consistent level of plot tension 
throughout all of the different directions and all of the different landscapes that we travel through with this group, it stays pretty consistent and the pacing is really, really good. I also want to mention how well integrated the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse is into this story. The story starts with just unicorns, right? And you would think, okay, it's about unicorns and magic and friendship and all the other tropes. But no, the unicorns are the horses for the horsemen. They are the steeds. One of the major plot points is that the various horsemen need their steeds. And some of the characters, some of the other unicorns you meet are these steeds. Right. And it sets up for this really great mystery and tension and who are the steeds of the other horsemen that have not been introduced yet which is so fascinating and i'm so excited to get into that and find that out in season two it's so good yeah hoofs of death does great with its theming and the fantasy but it also does a really great job with its characters and how they interact with the fantasy of this world it's true. There's actually a, a good amount of character buildup in this webtoon, even though it is not a character-focused webtoon. You still build a relationship with the group, with Glitter, who is kind of the leader. She's a little impetuous, and she's layered. She's flawed, but she has the biggest heart. And then you have Silver, who is sort of like the more sagely character, and he's got a lot of baggage and a weight on his shoulders from his time as War's steed. And he's a little bit older and more experienced, so the group looks to him for certain things. We have Blaze, who is the healer. He would do anything for Glitter. He has the most gigantic crush. Uh, and the, the, I was about to say the man, but the unicorn does not know how to express this in any way. But he would do anything for Glitter, but he is a healer, and he has a good head on his shoulders when it comes to assessing situations, and he's loyal. And the only non-unicorn main character, which is strange to say, by the way, is Kate, who is a human that Glitter finds and immediately takes under her wing. Absolutely. Kate and Glitter are the heart of this webtoon when it comes to relationships and characters. Those two are so closely bonded. Kate becomes a vampire for glitter basically just because she cares about glitter so much yeah and they do have their troubles between the two of them where they don't get along as well but you can tell that they still do have each other's back and they still trust each other very much so and it kind of touches on like a, a found family kind of theme where they are bonded in a way that is very very special Absolutely. And what you were talking about earlier is exactly that. They interact like family members do. All of the tensions, the arguments that happen, it's because those two care about each other so much, they've let each other in so deeply that sometimes those things flare up because that's what happens with family. When someone gets so close, it makes the other person more liable to hurt you and you more liable to hurt them. And that's just how it is sometimes. But there's a deep love, there's a deep connection there. And they kind of bond as a group of survivors, too. Yeah, they all take in the apocalypse kind of in their own ways. As you mentioned before, Silver has his baggage, and a lot of it is related to the apocalypse. Blaze is very focused on the task at hand. He does get very distracted by his unrequited feelings to Glitter, which he tries to mention several times and uh, gets... Horn blocked many times. <laughs> My poor dude. 
<laughs> Our poor guy. Uh, yeah, Blaze gets frustrated in more ways than one in this webtoon sometimes. Yeah, and that actually touches on something because he takes it out on other characters in kind of an unhealthy way. It says something interesting about his personality. There's elements of toxic masculinity in that where he is unable to process his emotions in a healthy way sometimes where he does end up taking it out on other people. And that's not to say that he's necessarily toxic, but that kind of behavior shows elements of unhealthy masculinity or toxic masculinity. Yeah, while Blaze has a lot of affection for Glitter, Glitter has a lot of affection for everyone, actually. She is much more caring and kind than even a lot of the other unicorns. Yeah, it's really interesting in how notable Glitter's compassion and empathy is. It far surpasses almost every other mythological and fantastical creature in this webtoon, even Blaze and Silver. And those three are all on the same mission. They're all on the same wavelength of what they're trying to do. But Glitter just has an especial amount of this, which is interesting, as you were saying, considering that unicorns in this world naturally have an urge to protect and nurture. We saw that in the beginning of the webtoon, where they took care of humans, they formed this army in order to protect, not to necessarily wage war, but it was to create a safe zone. And the army and the military was a means to protect it and to enforce it. It's interesting to contrast the unicorn's empathy and protection and nurturing with the big feet that we encounter too. In fact, it's actually fascinating to look at the different morality levels and the takes of all of the mythological creatures in this webtoon that this group slowly encounters. They're all coping and managing with the apocalypse in very different ways. As we established, unicorns protect and nurture. They're organized militaristically, but they are not naturally organized in that way. Big Feet are very empathetic and compassionate, so much so that their empathy and compassion extends itself to even their infected brethren. They cannot bring themselves to kill their infected brethren, whereas the unicorns will kind of, you know, cut their losses, so to speak, because it's war and they kind of have to. The sirens that Glitter and the group encounters are kind of uncaring unless it's benefiting them and by extension the men that they lure. Anything that's self-serving, they are okay with, but they're not going to do things for other people. The Pegasi are also very self-reliant and self-serving, but it's not because they don't care about others, but rather they're just fiercely protective of themselves at all costs because of their vulnerability. And we see exactly why when Pestilence attacks. So it's this interesting in-between. And then meanwhile, we have the vampires that are actively praying and feeding and taking advantage of the situation. So we get all of these moral gray areas and in-betweens when it comes to all of these groups and how they're handling and surviving the apocalypse situation. Their choices say a lot about who they are as groups of people. Yeah, and their choices kind of reflect back on the main cast. When the main cast encounter the Big Feet, they're confronted with the question of, well, why are you killing these zombies? Is there a cure, maybe? Because the Big Feet are definitely holding out for one. Yeah, they easily have the most hope. They hold the most hope of 
I think, nearly every other group of creatures that we encounter. There's also the interesting points that get brought up when the main characters travel to meet with the Pekasai, and they actually do. Mm -hmm. As a side note, I like how the Pekasai are kind of mythical creatures that have to be called. Uh, <laughs> it, it fits the theming of Pegasi really well, and I found that as a very fun and cool little detail. It also fits their characterization here because they're very choosy. They're picky and choosy with where they engage in their battles. Like I mentioned before, they're very self-reliant. They're very fiercely protective of their own kingdom. So it all just works on a thematic level, a mythological level, and a character level. But you were just about to go into some of the things that get brought up when the group actually visits them. Yeah. The Pegasi are much more reclusive. They're much more choosy, as you mentioned earlier. They also have a little bit of disdain, almost, for humans. They look down on them, in a way. They definitely don't see them as worth saving, which is what Glitter does. She has, as we've mentioned, she has that intense compassion and desire to save and protect that doesn't seem to be mirrored in the Pegasi when she visits them. But the Pegasi also give her more context into, I think, actually being a unicorn and creating a herd, which was very interesting. They kind of mentor her. Yeah, one character we haven't mentioned, by the way, is Grim, the death dog, who this entire time has been snarky and quibbling. And the Pegasi have a real problem with him being in their group. But they explain he's under control, he's been with them the whole time, and he won't be a problem. Yeah, so the main group's relationship with Grimm this whole time is very, very interesting because he clearly makes this progression from someone who is hunting them, who is, you know, snapping at them and not looking out for their benefit, to someone who arguably one could say he cares. He tells Glitter to stay up all night when they're with the vampires. He looks out for Kate on certain occasions, and he does a lot of critical thinking and helping to figure things out when they're around the big feet. So in some ways, he acts as an advisor, a support, and a sounding board on occasions, but there's also that twist and that complication. He's essentially their prisoner, and any affection or goodwill that he develops is a form of Stockholm Syndrome, and he points this out to Glitter. And it makes it really, really unclear how much of this is he doing for self-preservation or because of some of the loyalty, some of the care he feels for his captors. Yeah, how much of it is genuine uh, and how much of it is self-motivated because he he literally has to look out for them. Otherwise, that noose from the unicorn magic around his neck, it will tighten. It'll be bad for him. It's really, really interesting. And Grimm has a couple of really interesting moments in this webtoon. Yeah, one moment that stands out is when he goes into the fenced off area where the big feet are, where all the infected are, and he kills them all but it's less of a murder and more of a release and that's how i read the scene that's how it's portrayed but Grimm has a lot of these in-between moments these kind of gray moments where i have sensed that something has changed there's a change in the wind for Grimm, but at this point we're still trying to understand kind of where he is on this line 
Yeah, and a lot of this gets called into question when Silver sacrifices himself for Kate, because one effect of this is that the noose on Grimm gets weakened. Yeah, absolutely. So Grimm, on the one hand, yes, there's a very sad death. We don't know how much he feels this death, but on the other hand, it's like an inch towards, an inch closer towards freedom, you know? We should talk about that moment too, because Silver's sacrifice is a very big moment for all the characters. Yeah, it's absolutely heart-wrenching, and it just goes to show just how much good characterization exists in a story that is not entirely about the characterization because Silver's sacrifice has weight. It's so impactful because his character identity and his role in the group was so strongly established, and we know who he is. He has a lot of baggage and pain and guilt for all of the pain that he has caused unwittingly as War's steed, and it comes from a sense of wanting to atone and help turn the ship right and back around. And it's truly meaningful. Yeah, it's especially touching too because there's a moment where he is lying on the ground dying and he asks, hey, break off my horn, give it to Kate, mm-hmm. and no one is willing to do it. So in his dying moments, he has to do it himself. I know. He makes that choice. He actively makes that sacrifice. Uh, and I argue, like, in addition to this sacrifice, his whole battle and the way he approached this battle with war, he knew that this was his fate, that this was his chance to atone and make right all of the pain that war had caused with Silver by his side. I won't lie, when I read that, my heart just sank. I was like, oh no, Silver. I was in the moment. I felt every moment of that, and that's really good storytelling. The connective moments were so strong with the characters just to get me to this moment, and it was so well done, and it made the finale and Silver sacrifice so impactful. At the end of it, like, I felt it in my heart, which is all you could really want. Yeah, I did too. Especially for me, the moment where he has to do it himself. that yeah. That's the part that broke me. I know. And you can see just how deep the character's love for him was. You know, Glitter couldn't do it. Blaze, I love that moment when Glitter comes to him and he's like, I'll do it. You know, implying that he'll do it for you, uh, for, for her, sorry. But even he can't do it. He can't bring himself to do it. Kate can't. And it just, it's just heart-wrenching. Yeah, and that's where the story leaves off for season one. Mm-hmm. We've ended with a sacrifice and a tragedy, and it's moving into interesting directions, new directions. Yeah, it leaves some interesting questions for what's to come. What is the main cast going to do without Silver? And where do they go from here? They have Barn Owl with them, who is a pegasi. Her wing, I think one of them, is broken, and she's unable to fly. But she's another new addition to their group now that Silver is gone. And yeah, what's going to happen with them? I'm curious to know. And who is Pestilence's steed, and what is up with Pestilence? Yeah, that got hinted at a couple times in the webtoon, where his steed would show up and. He has some kind of connection to Glitter. We're not exactly Mm -hmm. sure what that is. Yeah, I don't know. There's some hints here and there. He has unique teleporting powers, which is very rare for a unicorn. 
And we also know that Glitter's brother vanished or is presumed dead, basically, kind of right in the beginning when the apocalypse started. So it's just interesting. There are certain things that do line up. We have no confirmations yet. Glitter has not talked too much about her family, but we know she has a younger brother. So there's a lot of interesting questions. What is Grimm going to do? What is Grimm's agenda in this whole thing? It's going to be fascinating. And then, of course, what's Kate's role? You know, we know that she is the key to kind of saving them from the apocalypse and the key to solving it all. But where is that going to go? Yeah, this has been a really, really fun read so far. The blend of all the different fantasies and the adventure style story we've gotten is really, really fun. I think I would use the word fun to describe this webtoon. It's gripping, but it's just really, really, really darn fun. It absolutely is. I feel like this would actually make a really good animated TV show because it's fast-paced, it moves through all of these interesting worlds and peoples, and the animation would look really cool. So if anyone is interested in making a story out of Hooves of Death, please do. We would absolutely watch it. But I don't have too much more to add on season one. It was such a romp to read, which I really appreciated. And I'm really excited to continue reading season two. You and I are current and I'm excited to talk about that, too, in the future down the line. Yeah, we'll definitely be following this one closely. And if season two is just as fun as season one, we'll definitely, definitely be talking about it. Absolutely. Thank you very much for listening to our episode on Hose of Death. We're glad that we had a chance to talk about this webtoon and so excited that you joined us for the ride. If you're also a fan of this webtoon, feel free to hit us up on Instagram or Twitter at The Webtoon Room. We always love talking webtoons and sharing notes and thoughts back and forth. Or you can email us at thewebtoonroom at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. 